1 Timothy chapter 4 is where you want to turn in your Bible or your device. You really want to be there so you can keep track of what we're doing, so you can look at the scriptures we're actually studying. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read the verses that we're going to look at today in just a minute. But first, I want to give a shout out to you, church family, servants church family, and the way you responded to the true and false exam last week uh, that we used as part of an illustration for last week's study. If you didn't get to see that, go back and watch it. Just to say, I was really, really blessed by the way you guys pushed back on some of the questions, especially the first question uh, about, or the first uh, statement uh, about God's love. Uh, and just to kind of uh, state it again, it was, it was basically, uh, d God loves us exactly as we are, and we said it was false. And many of you said, wait a second, that can't be true. Uh, that it has to be true. I mean, it, that can't be a false statement. Uh, and it was great because, one, I was so proud of so many of you guys not only pushing back in a gracious way, but also standing your ground and saying, wait a second, we have to believe that God loves us as we are because isn't that why Christ died? And that was the point. You probably saw from the explanations that we sent out, the point was it's not that God loves us as we are, but God loves us in spite of who we are, which is why He promised, He calls us to change and promises to change. And his love for us is not based on who we are, but what he's done for us. I heard a, a preacher say not too long ago that we are, um, we are far more broken than we thought, but we are far more loved than we could ever imagine. So just in case anybody heard the quiz last week and was feeling like, oh no, does that mean God doesn't love me? No, it's just the opposite. God loves you no matter where you are right now, but he's not going to leave you where you are. He's going to grow you into a real relationship. Amen? All right. So let's move into 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 6 to 16 today. So I'm going to read that to you. Then we'll pray and we'll get into it together. 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with the irreverent silly myths Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have, set our, we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe." command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believer an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, how even though it was written thousands of years ago, it still applies to us today. It still is uh, uh, it still is applicable today. It's still helpful today. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would help us to see how that's true. 
Please speak to us today as we take the time to study this. And as we draw near to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think about the things that you put the most effort into. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your schooling. Maybe it's your friendships. Maybe it's a romantic relationship or a marriage. What do you put the most effort into? And when you put that effort into it, do you always feel like the effort was worth it? Do you always feel like, yes, I'm getting back what I wanted. I'm benefiting from all this effort. The truth is we don't always feel that way, do we? What's interesting about this section that we're going to look at today is this promise that Paul makes that we, well, actually that God makes through Paul that maybe we just kind of overlook. What what does he say in verse 8? Paul says in verse 8 about this thing, godliness. He says, godly says in verse 8, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and also the life that is to come. That's pretty radical, isn't it? That there's something that God gives to us or calls us to that He promises is going to be good for us now and good for us when we see Him face to face. How many other things in your life that you work for have that kind of promise? Now, now what we're going to see today is we're going to talk about what it means to pursue godliness. Remember 1 Timothy, we're talking about the priorities of the local church Paul is writing to a younger man, Timothy, who is trying to, in a sense, replant these churches in Ephesus and make sure their priorities are where they're supposed to be. And here we deal with this issue of the priority of pursuing godliness. Now, this is what's interesting. We do see really clearly right off the bat that Paul is writing to Timothy as a minister, He's wanting to kind of show him, Timothy, this is what you need to do if you're going to be successful in the ministry. We know that because he says it in verse 6, right? He addresses this directly. He says, look, if you put these things before the brethren, you will be a good servant, or some of your versions say, minister of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine which you have followed. So this is definitely Paul saying, Timothy, this is how you're going to be a better pastor, a better minister. But also we know this is applicable to every single believer. And we know that because of verse 11. Because Paul says to Timothy, command and teach these things. In other words, this is not just for you to do as a minister, but for all of God's people to do. All of us are called to pursue godliness. Now, what we're going to look at today is is what we really need if we're going to pursue godliness. And the first thing is... And it'll be on your screen. The first thing is we need to know what godliness is. What does Paul mean by this word godliness? Let's look at verse 7. Paul says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. The first thing we want to notice is that godliness really is its devotion to the person of God. It's, it's not something that's based on myths or superstitions or being afraid because of myths and superstitions. It's about saying, God, I want to know you. In fact, uh, when he says have nothing to do with these irreverent silly myths, it's kind of a connection back to what we saw in chapter 3, verse 16. Remember that? When it says, Paul says, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness or God's revelation of what godliness is. And then he talks about Jesus 
that Jesus is the revelation of that, that He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated in the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in the glory. Jesus is what godliness is based on. Jesus shows us what a godly life looks like, what a heart that's devoted to God looks like, and He shows us, He provides for us a way that we can follow in His footsteps. I also, it's important for us to recognize we're not talking about just rigorous religious exercise, but we're talking about what really is, might be called good worship. In fact, the word for godliness there, the, the, the Greek uh, components of that word are, are words that mean good worship. It's the idea that we're giving God what He deserves. We're giving God His due. Now, it's, it's, it's easy to be really religious, rigorously religious, and not give God what he's, what he's due. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, when He quotes Isaiah saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What they were doing was quite religious, but it wasn't godliness. Jesus' question about what does it mean to, to, to be godly, what does God really want from us in Mark chapter 12, and here's what happens. It says one of the scribes, that would be one of these religious leaders, came up and asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered this, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's giving God His due. So godliness is about being devoted to the person of God. It's about saying, God, I want to know you. I want to love you. It's you that I desire. That's godliness. But also look at verse 8. It's also a discipline in our walk with God. Verse 8 says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is valuable in, in, in every way. Now, he uses this word training, same word as we saw earlier in verse 7, train yourself. And, and, and think about what this means. In fact, the word means, all right, get this, the word means to exercise naked. That's what it means. This is one of those times you don't want to take the Bible uh, literally, okay? None of this, all right? But, but the point is this. It's the idea of somebody who was an Olympic athlete. In fact, it's where we get the word for the English word gymnasium or gymnast. It was someone who was a skilled, professional-level athlete who was training for that purpose. It's a strong word. In fact, if you drop down to verse 10, Paul uses other strong words talking about the ministry uh, motivated by godliness. He says, we toil and strive. These are strong words. Toil means to work to the point of exhaustion. Strive is this idea, again, of an, an athletic term of someone who's running a race, and right at the end, they push themselves forward to cross the finish line. Strong words. In other words, what he's talking about here is there's an intentional effort that needs to be made. Now, this is kind of why I think there was some confusion or pushback with some of the questions that we had on the exam last week. And it has to do with the fact that we get confused between what justification is and what sanctification is. And I want to show you a little chart that I've made to kind of maybe help us get our head around this. You'll see this chart has three circles, right? One is justification, one is sanctification, one is glorification. Justification is a position that we're given when we come to faith in Christ. We put our faith in what Jesus has done for us. God says we're justified. He renders us innocent. Justification is us realizing Jesus died for me. He paid sin's penalty. 
And at the point that we first believe, boom, we're justified before God. And we can be assured of His love at that point for sure. Okay? Now, glorification is kind of what happens at the end of our life. After we die or we're raptured at our resurrection. Glorification is when we're finally made one like Jesus. We're finally perfected. There's no, that we're, there's no sinfulness about us anymore. And, and that looks more like permanence. And therefore, it's less like sitting and more like dancing. Celebration, right? And, and so you can say that when that happens, it's where I'm one with Jesus. He has delivered me from sin's presence. Okay? Now, in between there is this thing, uh, sanctification. And what we're talking about here in the pursuit of godliness is sanctification. Now, sanctification is a process. It's not a position. It's a process. It's not a permanence. It's a process. It's from the point that we're justified to the point that we're glorified. And you might call this walking. It's, it's us realizing, I died with Jesus. He broke sin's power and is changing me as I obey Him. This happens as we continue to believe. Now, Justification is something that only God does. We have nothing to do with that. We simply receive a free gift. It's something that God does by His Spirit. Sanctification is something that God has to do, but also we need to cooperate with. I don't mean that like it's 50-50, half God, half us. But I do mean God's doing a work that He calls us to cooperate. This is why people are at different places of sanctification. So when we talk about pursuit of godliness, we're talking about uh, this, this intentional effort. We're talking about this discipline in our walks with God because we are devoted to His person. We want to know Him better. That's what Paul's talking about here. Now, what we'll see too, that this comes from being motivated. In fact, notice again what he says. We'll read it again, verse 8. He says, Godliness is a value. This is why. Because it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. In other words, what gives us the motivation for this intentional effort is hope. We have this hope that we are actually going to benefit. Isn't this why you work hard for other things? You work hard at work. Why? Because you hope there's a benefit. Paycheck at the end. Promotion. You work at a hard at relationships because you hope there's a benefit. You purpose in life, uh, a, a companionship, affection. This is what we do. So how much more when it comes to God? God has made a promise to us that we can actually know Him and walk with Him. And therefore, He says, pursue this godliness. You want to be devoted to me? Let's have some discipline in your walk. Great verse, uh, 1 John 3, 3 talks about this where uh, John writes, And every, everyone who has, who thus hopes in Christ, purifies himself as he is pure. This is what motivates us. In fact, this is what motivates all of our pursuit of godliness. We see this in verse 10. Because in verse 10, Paul's talking about how this is what motivates them, himself and Timothy, to do ministry. Paul says, to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Now, a lot of times when people teach this section, they focus on this verse because there's some good meaty theology there. But this is just one part of what Paul's talking about, about pursuing, uh, about pursuing godliness. And now, I, I want to kind of talk about this because when he says God is the Savior of all people, I believe what he's talking about here is that salvation is available to all people. Anyone who hears the gospel can be saved. 
But it's only effective for everyone who believes the gospel. And so that's why it says he's, it's especially for those who believes. So when we, when we present the gospel to people, we present the gospel to, to people as this is something that you can believe. You can respond to the gospel and you can respond to the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done. And you can be saved from your sin. You can experience justification. You can have hope for glorification and you can now begin to experience sanctification. Now, this is what motivates us to preach the gospel. Listen to this. Paul, Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 10. He says, How will they call upon Him and whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. God calls us to preach the gospel because... People need to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. It's only through the hearing of who God is and what He's done through Jesus Christ that people can be saved. Now, now remember, we're talking about pursuing godliness. And the, and the thing that we really want you to understand is this, pursuing, this pursuit of godliness, it benefits everybody. And, and, and I think it's pretty clear, right, that, that those who aren't yet Christians, they benefit by hearing the gospel from somebody who's pursuing godliness. You know what I'm talking about. If you're not a Christian yet and you're listening to this, you know the difference between hearing some, some, someone preach at you who just seems to be religious and hearing someone share with you whose life has been changed by Jesus. You know the difference. And Christians, we know the difference. Or we should know the difference. Now, I want to challenge you kind of practically with this, okay? I want you to think about right now uh, one or two people that you know who don't yet know Jesus. Talking to you guys who are Christians specifically. Think about just a couple of people. Who pops into your head? Who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? Now, thinking about them, I want to ask you some questions. Would those people who don't know Jesus see you as a hopeful person? Would they see you as a person that has hope? If not, why not? And if so, would they connect your hopefulness to your faith in Jesus? I want you to think about this because we're talking about what we need to know about what godliness is. We're talking godliness is if we're going to pursue it. And part of the reason we want to pursue godliness is because we want to see other people come to know the God that we're pursuing. It's what motivates us. This is not going to be on the screen, but you can look it up later. I think it's in Acts chapter 4. If you remember when, when Peter and John are arrested for preaching Jesus... And the religious leaders of their day say, you need to stop doing that. Stop preaching Jesus. We don't want this going out anymore. And you know what they said? They said, how can we not but speak of what we've seen and heard? Can you see how evangelism comes from godliness? It flows out of this pursuit of God himself. It's when we know God for who he is. It's when we desire more of God that we can't but speak of who He is and what He's done for us. That's when it begins to benefit everybody. Now, moving on to the next bit. Look at verse 12. Now, Paul encourages Timothy. He says, he says, let no one despise you for your youth. Now, uh, Timothy was young if in comparison to me. So, I'm in my early 50s. Timothy was probably in his mid-30s. From a Jewish mindset, anybody that was under 40 was still not fully considered to be an adult yet. And so they were, he was considered probably pretty young, but obviously capable for his ministry. 
Now, the, the, this is interesting because what, what I want us to see today is that if we're going to pursue godliness, we need examples that we can follow. That's what we need. And so what Paul's saying is, yeah, Timothy, you're young, but you still can be an example of godliness. Now, this is important for us because if we're going to pursue godliness, we need to pursue examples that are not necessarily older than us, but always more mature than us. And one of the things that I've experienced is, is that, I, I, well, one of the mistakes I, I continue to make as a Christian is I'm always looking for one other person who can be the example to me. I want that guy that I can follow. And after 32 years of being a Christian, you know what I found? There isn't one guy. There's Jesus that I need to follow, and I need to look to several different people for different areas of maturity that I can find examples in. Sometimes those people are younger than me, and that's okay. But they might have more maturity than me in a certain, in a certain area. And so we want to look for those examples, okay? Also, though, notice what he says in verse 12. He says, this is not just about how we talk or what, what outward appearance we have, but really it's about not just speech, but actions, what, who are, are examples of actions that we can follow? Right? He says, but set the, the believer an example. Notice in speech, yes, how we communicate for sure, but also in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Who, who do you know that does these things? Who do you know that, that, that it sets examples for you in these things? Now, if you, if you drop down to verse 16, it's also not just those who, who are preaching the gospel, but those who are applying it to themselves. Because Paul says to Timothy in verse 16, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, Paul's not teaching, uh, and Timothy doesn't believe, obviously, that they can save themselves in the sense of that, that, that they're the ones who bring justification to their lives. That's not what he's saying. What he's talking about here is the reality that, listen, as we do the gospel, as we apply the gospel of life, we are receiving that salvation. You might say, going back to those three circle uh, uh, diagram that I had, that all three of those circles, they're intertwined by this reality of salvation. God saving us from ourselves to himself. Okay? And so this is, this is what he's talking about. But he's saying, listen, when you do this, when you are actually practicing what you preach, man, that's what's going to help people have an example to follow. Again, I know guys that are phenomenal teachers or just really effective evangelists or just really bold for the gospel, not afraid to tell anybody about Jesus. But you know what? There's something about them that I think, mm, I'm not sure I want to follow them in these other areas. We need to find people that we can find who are applying the gospel to themselves, that know that they need grace as much as anybody else needs grace. These are the people that we want to follow after. Now, this is important too, both in wanting to look for examples, but also be an example. This is part of how we love one another. Well, listen to this. In 1 John, I'm sorry, first in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. It says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Not just talk, but walk. And then in 1 John chapter 5, verse 2, uh, John writes, by this we know that we love the children of God. This is how, listen, when we love God and obey his commandments. You know the best thing you can do for the people you're trying to love that you want to be an example to? Just walk with God. Love God. Obey God. Keep His commandments. That sets an example. A lot of the people that are examples to me that help me pursue godliness don't even know they're being examples to me. 
It's just as I watch them do different things, as I watch them handle different things. In fact, I was thinking about sharing some specific examples, but I think I'd probably just embarrass those people, make them self-conscious, and then maybe I wouldn't get to see the stuff as much, and it wouldn't help me so much. So selfishly, I'm not going to say who they are. But there are several people at Servants Church that I look to and I think, wow, I really want to grow in this area like that, that sister. I really want to grow in that area like that brother. That we're looking to these people as examples. Now, this is, this is what's really important about examples. This is why, again, godliness benefits everybody. Believers benefit from seeing how pursuing God looks like in everyday life. This is why we need one another. We can't just have a couple paid holy guys trying to be examples for everybody. It doesn't work. We need one another to see, wow, that's how you grow in this area of prayer, or that area of study, or that area of relationship, or that area of whatever it would be. This is how it looks like to be a godly person at work, or a godly parent in a home, or a godly child in a home. This is what it looks like to, to seek after God at school. This is what it looks like to seek after God in your neighborhood. We need different examples for these things to grow in godliness. So I want to challenge you, again, some practical challenge. Which of these areas of godliness that, are, that Paul mentions to Timothy, these, these different things, speech, conduct, love, faith, purity, etc., which of these things do you need to grow in most? Where, where do you find that you're really struggling? Like you would, as those things were mentioned, which one kind of pierced your eye? Like, oh man, I'm not very good at that. Maybe you're good at talking the talk, but your life, well, your conduct really, especially in private, isn't so great. Maybe you have great faith. You're willing to do great things for God, but your love for people, it wanes. Well, maybe you have real love for people, but then you're finding yourself not really walking in purity, and so that love can easily turn to lust. Wherever it is that you need to grow the most, I want you to do something. I want you to challenge you to ask somebody who's more mature to you, than you uh, in that area for help. Ask them. Just say, man, I, I, you know, I've noticed that this seems to be the pattern of your life, and I, I want to learn from that. How, how did you grow in that? Have you always kind of been that way? They'll probably be shocked that you're asking them first and foremost. But I'll tell you what, it's a good way for you to humble yourself. It's a good way for you to receive love from somebody. It'll help you and that other person to grow in godliness. So now quickly, the last thing we see in verses 13 to 15 about the pursuit of godliness. Okay, so just for review, we know that we need to understand, we need to know what godliness is. We know we need to have examples of godliness to follow, but also we need preachers of godliness to learn from. Yes, this might sound that I'm kind of giving myself a, um, a job security here, but it's not just me. You meet other guys besides me to preach to you. But this is what Paul's saying to Timothy. Check this out. Verse 13. Paul says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Now, that phrase, public reading of Scripture, one word in the Greek that literally means, guess what? The public reading of Scripture. This was the common practice for the early church. People didn't have Bibles. They couldn't afford uh, written books. They were very expensive only for real rich people. So the only time they ever heard the Scriptures was when they were read out loud at a church service. In fact, it's interesting. and it is, it, There's stories told, especially when China first had its communist revolution and, and the, the church was really being persecuted, uh, that, that there were, uh, there was, Bibles were taken away, people didn't have very many Bibles, and so as people were becoming Christians, they would go to, to, to gather in these secret places. 
And there, I, I heard this from, from pastors and preachers from the West who would go to these underground churches to share. And they were expected to, to teach for three to four hours. Because one of the things they needed to do was to read slowly and clearly the very text they were going to share about so that they could be translated into Chinese and people could write it out word for word. Because that was the only Bible they were going to have. So the, the public reading of Scripture continues to be a very important thing. This is why we tend to read the text first, to make sure that you hear what God says before we try to explain what God says. So this is what they did. They were exposing everyone to what the text actually says. But then it says exhortation, which basically means telling everybody how to live this out. It's no good filling our heads up with knowledge if we're not actually going to walk in it. That's exhortation. But then lastly, it says teaching, which is explaining to everyone what it means. It's hard to walk in something you don't understand. Now, the reason I bring this up is because it fits really with what we've seen happen all throughout the scriptures. Do you remember from our study way back in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, when they rediscovered God's word, here's what they did. They, they, they found a copy of God's law as they're rebuilding Jerusalem, and so they begin to, to read it, and here's what it says. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, they gave, and they gave the meaning so that the people understood the reading. Very similar to what we're seeing right here. Very similar to what we try to do on a Sunday morning. You see, here's the deal. Good preaching focuses on what God says, not what the preacher wants to say. Now you might go, wait a second, John, your, your outlines tend to be what seems like what you want to say. Those are just supposed to be tools to help you hold on to what God is saying about, in this case, the pursuit of godliness. But also look at verse 14. Good preachers also don't take their calling lightly. See what Paul says to Timothy here in verse 14. Paul says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders, council of elders laid their hands on you. And we don't know exactly how this happened. We don't know if there was some sort of prophetic word about Timothy. When, when, and then that's what uh, God used to call him into uh, doing ministry with Paul. We don't know if this happened way before that time. But what we do see is some principles here is that God is the one who does the calling. The fact that it came through a prophetic word was the fact that God was confirming to Timothy, you are indeed called to preach the gospel. And this is really important. It's really important that those who are called to preach the gospel are actually called. They're not just doing it for their own motives, their own desires. But also, it's His people who do the confirming. These council of elders, they confirm. Now, this is important too because this is something that we are in a process always of doing. If you remember from earlier studies in Timothy, that one of the priorities of, of, uh, of a good church is developing leadership. Seeing leaders be built up. So we, we were looking for those whom God might be calling and developing towards these positions and these ministries. But also there's something else that we need to understand about this and why this is important. Because James tells us, he warns us clearly, James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. This is one of the reasons why I find it so helpful to teach through whole books of the Bible verse by verse. It automatically gives me a greater accountability to you guys. You can see what I'm teaching from the text that I'm teaching it, and you can go, is that right? Is that not right? This is why I was so excited when you guys were pushing back, going, I'm not too sure you were right about that first statement. I thought that was a great thing, because this is what we want to see happen. Now, there's something else, though, too, we see in verse 15, and I'll close with this. It's practice. Paul says to Timothy, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your perfection. 
Is that what it says? No, it says progress. This is really important. Good preachers get better. Now, I really feel like I'm setting myself up for this one. <laughs> you might be thinking, okay, John, I've been going to your church for many years. You're not really any better than you were, you know, five years ago. I apologize. I apologize that that's the case. But it's, it's obvious in the context. That it's not just better f- with pulpit ministry. It means being better examples, growing in the faith, having a better grasp on the gospel. It means all of these things. But it's also important that we recognize that no one improves without practice. This is why we, it's so important that we train people and give them opportunities to preach. It has to be there. This is why we, we raise up house group leaders and youth workers and women's ministry leaders and children's ministry workers to be able to bring forth God's truth to God's people. That requires training and ongoing practice. But also, we should be looking for progress and not perfection. One of the, I've got to tell you, one of the things that's really difficult in, in the last maybe 15, 20 years of doing ministry has been the internet. And the fact is that you can go online and you can find that the most eloquent teaching, the most meaty, well thought through illustrations and, and, and applications. And I'll tell you, sometimes it's tricky because sometimes people will come to me and go, you know, I listened to so-and-so and he preached a text and what he said was, oh man, that's hard. Because a lot of the guys that you see on, on uh, the internet, especially the, the big name guys, all they have to worry about is teaching a Bible study on a Sunday morning, giving a sermon on a Sunday morning. Some of the guys from the big churches, you may not know this, actually have research assistants that help them come up with the information and the illustrations. Pretty crazy. But the majority of pastors, including myself, do many, many, many jobs. In fact, most pastors in this country, Great Britain, aren't even full-time on staff. They're working jobs and trying to look after God's people and trying to prepare sermons. The reason I say this is that let's not hold people to some, a standard that God's not holding them to. Let's hold people to the standard that God is holding them to. That is, that they're, they're teaching people how to be godly as they put their faith in the finished work of Jesus. Now, Paul says it this way. He encourages Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2. Here's the, here's the preacher's job instructions. He says, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. See, here's the thing. Individual people, all of us as individuals, we benefit from learning what God says about godliness. So, so, so with that in mind, I want, I want to challenge you to start doing something if you haven't already started doing this. I want you to challenge you to read next week's sermon text. It's easy to know. Uh, we just finished chapter 4, so what are we going to be in next week? Chapter 5. Read next week's sermon text the Saturday night before you go to sleep. Just read it. Maybe read it out loud to you. If you're married, read it, read it together as your spouse. And ask God to teach you how you might grow closer to Him through it. Just, you know, it'll literally probably take less than five minutes. Read it out loud and say, Father, we want to grow near to you. We want to be devoted to you. We want to discipline ourselves this, 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 this way to, to know you better. So prepare us to hear from you. Because guys, listen, it's not me or whoever else is teaching on a Sunday morning that, wants to, that needs to speak to you or you need to hear from. You need to hear from God. And you want to prepare your hearts for that. Now, I just want to wrap up by saying this. We can't benefit from godliness unless we pursue it. 
Are we willing to say, Lord, I know that you've rendered me innocent. I'm justified. I have great hope that one day I'm going to be glorified. So right now, Lord, I want to walk with you, cooperate with you that I might be sanctified. I want to pursue godliness, understanding that it's devotion to you, knowing I need examples to follow, and knowing I need to hear good preaching to learn from. I want to challenge you guys to do this. And one last thing. You need to know where every single one of us have failed to pursue godliness, Jesus succeeded. The reason we can know we're justified is because Jesus was perfectly godly. The reason we can know that we are, we're going to be glorified is because Jesus was perfectly godly. And God's making us like him. Do you have that hope? Are you willing to make th these kind of intentional choices to pursue him? Let's make this a priority. Father, we pray that you would help us as a church and as individuals to pursue godliness. Knowing, Lord, that we're going to benefit in this life and the life to come. Knowing, Lord, that all those around us, every relationship we have with believers and non-believers, those people are going to benefit as we just pursue you. Help us to do this, we pray. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See you guys next week. Don't forget to read 1 Timothy chapter 5. God bless.